Welcome to another episode of Demolition Now, the official podcast of the National Demolition Association. I'm your host, Kevin McKenney, Director of Government Affairs for NDA. On this podcast, we'll examine the big issues driving the industry, hopefully in an informative and engaging manner that will keep you coming back. If you have suggestions for topics for future episodes, please email them to me at kmckenney at demolitionassociation.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Demolition Now through iTunes or Stitcher, available in the Google Play Store. You can also listen to us online through the NDA website. On this episode, we'll speak with Ray Martinez, Administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, and his staff about the new drug and alcohol clearinghouse and what employers need to know. Later, we'll speak with Jim Graham with Winter Environmental about the upcoming World Demolition Summit and then update you on the latest legislative and regulatory developments. So stay with us. Years ago, Congress passed a law requiring the Department of Transportation to create a clearinghouse for drug and alcohol violations. The clearinghouse will improve highway safety by helping employers, the FMCSA, state driver licensing agencies, and state law enforcement to quickly and efficiently identify drivers who are not legally permitted to operate commercial motor vehicles due to drug and alcohol program violations. This secure online database will provide access to real-time information, ensuring that drivers committing these violations complete the necessary steps before getting back behind the wheel or performing any other safety-sensitive function. Here to discuss this new clearinghouse and what employers should know, is Ray Martinez, the Administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. Mr. Administrator, thank you for taking some time with us on our podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, I'm also joined, uh, joining us is Joe DiLorenzo, our uh, Director of Enforcement. We appreciate the opportunity to be here. Wonderful. We appreciate it as well. I'd like to start by asking you if you could just briefly explain a little bit about what the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration does and what is the agency's primary mission? Sure. Uh, so the, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, or FMCSA, is part of the United States Department of Transportation. The way the U.S. DOT is uh, structured is you have, most people have heard of the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, or the Federal Railroad Administration, or Federal Maritime, it's set up by modes. What they, you, these are agencies that regulate particular areas of transportation in the United States. Our uh, area is uh, anything involving trucks and motor coach buses. Uh, so you can imagine for anybody that, you know, CDL holders or uh, any trucking industry is very, very varied. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we do uh, in, a, in a nutshell. We're not a big agency. We are about 1,200 people. We have offices in every state uh, around the country. Um, the way we, re we perform our um, responsibilities that are mandated by Congress is by working with our state partners, with the state, um, state police, state DO, the Departments of Transportation, and state DNVs. So there's a lot of moving parts. Um, but, uh, you know, we are the, we are the uh, federal regulator of uh, trucks and buses in the U.S. Wonderful. And do you uh, primarily, you mentioned working a lot with the, the, uh, the, the state uh, officials and, and really partnering with them. Would you say that you're mostly partnering with those state officials or do you work uh, closely with any other federal agencies? 
No, we also work with other federal agencies. At our within uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation, there are uh, some some agencies that we work closer with than others. For instance, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is one of uh, another mo uh, modal uh, administration that we work with. Uh, the uh, Federal Transit Administration we work with, um, uh, even maritime, you know, for ports. So there's there's a lot of different areas where we work together, even and federal rail as well. Pipe, uh, interestingly, a lot of uh, folks, Federal Highways uh, Administration, um, so we work very closely with them. But there's an, another mode here that people don't rarely think about. It's one of the smaller modes uh, called the uh, Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Administration. Well, uh, they, they're always focused on safety, and they are, uh, they of course also have national uh, responsibilities. Well, that sounds great. Definitely a lot of uh, uh, partners at the state and federal level and to uh, partner with some of your work. So yeah. uh, I wanted to switch now to asking specifically about uh, the new clearinghouse. So I wanted to see if you could start by just giving our listeners some background on uh, the commercial driver's license drug and alcohol clearinghouse and how it kind of came about and maybe the current status of it as well. Sure. Uh, and first of all, I, I don't want to uh, forget about, you know, we talk about us working with our federal partners and our state partners to, to accomplish our uh, goals of, you know, safer highways. Um, but one of our most important partners, and we really do consider uh, these safety partners, and that's private industry. All the different industries that are uh, involved, trucking or, or buses, uh, we have to work with them because if we try to build a culture of safety uh, and work with them, to actually make sure that the roadways are safe. And, uh, you know, that's really what, how the FMCSA came about was we used to be part of the Federal Highway Administration, and they realized that, they, that there were so many trucking, so many carriers on the road and so many drivers, CDL, commercial driver license holders, that it really required a separate uh, federal agency to focus in on um, uh, driving safety in those areas. So just to give you an idea, we regulate over 560,000 uh, carriers in the U.S. and over 4 million uh, commercial driver license holders. And they're involved in all types of different, um, uh, you know, businesses that involve trucks. So uh, that's, that's, that's how we work, and that's why it's very important for us to work with our, our private sector partners as well as, you know, state police and DOTs and things like that. Um, with regard to your question about the, um, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, this is something that uh, came through Congress. It was a law that was passed, and the way it works is once Congress passes a law, they then hand it over to the federal agency that is most, you know, has most responsibility uh, for implementing regulations and actually effectuating what Congress intended. And um, uh, this one was uh, targeting uh, to, to try and make sure that people who have, uh, have commercial driver licenses that are working in the industry, uh, if they have a, an issue with drug or alcohol, uh, drug or alcohol problems, um, and uh, it comes to the attention of uh, their employer that they can't just pick up and move from that employer to another employer 
without having some notification because that's a major contributing factor to uh, crashes, injuries, and fatalities on the roadways is impairment and people that somehow, you know, slip through the cracks. Um, and uh, either whether you're a passenger car driver or a uh, commercial CMV driver, uh, you know, you, nobody wants anybody who has, uh, who has uh, uh, impairment issues on the roadway. Absolutely, for sure. And, and NDA shares that we're committed to uh, safety as well. We're, we're very big advocates of that. And so uh, we, we certainly resonate with that. Um, and when did the, when did the Congress uh, pass that law? Uh, yeah, so Joe, yeah, you can speak up, Joe. <laughs> so, so, so it was passed in 2015, and, uh, you know, here we are, we're speaking in the middle, right in the middle of 2019. It gives you an idea how, how these things move. This is not unusual. It's about, about how quickly uh, things go from being debated as, a, and I, I can't even tell you how long it was debated in Congress before it was passed, but they passed the law, got everybody to agree. Of course, the president has to sign a law into, into effect, and that occurred in 2015, and now we are right on the verge of launching this, that is, making it really uh, come into effect. Uh, and that will start in October of this year uh, with people, uh, drivers can register and carriers uh, must register. Um, and that is, that will, is, uh, we, uh, we can uh, talk about how the uh, clearinghouse will actually work in the nuts and bolts, but. Uh, the law actually goes into effect beginning January of 2020. So we're, it's really coming up quickly, and we appreciate the opportunity to talk about this because it is going to affect uh, a lot of CDL holders um, who may jump, you know, go from job to job, or are maybe change, look to be changing their careers, uh, changing their employment in uh, 2020 or going forward. Um, uh, and we can explain how that how this will uh, will impact. Yeah, that'd be that's great, and I think that's a good that'd be a good transition into my next question, which was um, to expand just a little bit on um, what are the what are the obligations of employers with the clearinghouse. So, for those listeners here, uh, many of them would be uh, employers, uh, you know, owning a, either a demolition company or perhaps a scrapyard or something like that. And so for those, for those listeners, what would you say are the obligations for employers? What do they need to know? And maybe the differences between the employer obligations and then just the um, employee or driver obligations with the clearinghouse. Exactly. Um, and first of all, I want to compliment the first of your industry uh, because it has always been very focused on safety because of the nature of the work uh, that you do. So uh, I, I appreciate that uh, the, the folks in your industry are going to be very interested in, in how, uh, how this actually works because I think it's going to be a valuable tool for um, employers uh, to make sure they don't inherit someone who uh, has a pre-existing issue. And I'm going to ask uh, Joe DiLorenzo, our Director of Enforcement, to address those two, those two issues. One is, you know, what are the responsibilities of the carriers and what are the responsibilities of individual seat commercial driver license holders? Joe? Sure. Thanks, Administrator. The, the way that I like to look at this is it really, as the Administrator said earlier, it's, a, it's designed to close the loop on drug and alcohol testing. The first responsibility of the employer is to make sure that they're, they're drug and alcohol testing their employees just like they are 
under today's existing rules. The difference is when the clearinghouse goes into effect, if there is a positive test, that result will then be entered into the clearinghouse by the medical review officer, the person that's finalizing that result, and that will get entered in there with the, with the driver and the driver's name. The company then has the responsibility, again, just like they do today, to make sure that before that driver goes through uh, and goes back to uh, driving a truck or performing some other safety-sensitive function, that they have gone through the return to duty process and are then cleared uh, for those functions. The difference with the clearinghouse now is that there are two responsibilities that the company has that will involve the clearinghouse. The first is an annual check every year of all of the drivers that they have with their company where they will check the clearinghouse to see if any information has been entered on those. That's what we would call limited query. Every year they will do that for all of their drivers. The second responsibility that the company has that's most important is that they will do a query on any new drivers that they are going to hire. And this is a little bit of a transition into what driver responsibilities are, but essentially if a driver reports to a company, files an application, part of that application process uh, should be a discussion of the pre-employment drug test and the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. Because what will happen the company will be required to have their account, um, and as the administrator said, we'll st people will be able to register for accounts starting in October. Um, and when that new driver comes up, comes in for a job, the company will have to perform a query of their background in the clearinghouse to check their drug and alcohol history. In order for that query to take place, the driver will then have to consent in the clearinghouse to that query so that giving that company permission to view their information. So the responsibility there, the carrier has an account, they have to make the query. The driver then that is looking for the new job is also going to have to have an account and consent to that query in order to be then, you know, hopefully employed by that company. So it really kind of closes the whole loop for everybody. And it's important for drivers, I get most often from drivers, well, I've never had a positive drug test, so I don't need to have a account in the clearinghouse. Well, that's great, and, and we love safe drivers um, that haven't had any of these issues, but any driver that's looking for a new job, and I think you all, just like any other, suffer from a, a fair amount of turnover in the industry, any of those drivers are gonna have to have an account so that they can allow a company to access their information as part of their pre-employment check. Well, that sounds great. It sounds like a lot of uh, attention went into creating the rule and uh, making sure that a lot of the requirements line up with a lot of the existing obligations on both sides. So I think that sounds, uh, that sounds really good. And so I know you mentioned before that this, uh, this rule would be going uh, or the clearinghouse would be going live in, I believe it's January of 2020. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And so my question really is, how might our listeners and members of our industry uh, go, up, go about creating an account and kind of thinking about getting started with this, knowing, all right, 2020 is going to be rolling around. I need to start thinking about this and, and making sure that I'm compliant. So uh, between now and January, what would you recommend in, in, you know, carriers, employers start thinking about? I think the, uh, the first thing uh, that's critically important and it's very timely is uh, 
sooner rather than later, go to the web, our website that is specific for the clearinghouse, which is uh, clearinghouse, that's one word, clearinghouse.fmcsa.dot.gov. And there's a lot of great information there on the clearinghouse and the requirements, et cetera, et cetera. But you can use that portal to uh, register uh, and to establish your account. So that's critically important for carriers. If there's a safety director or whoever has that responsibility uh, for the uh, for the company to to go there, it's very easy. Uh, and there's actually really good information there. And then also for drivers, if they anticipate that they, you know, even if they're not anticipating making a move uh, in 2020 or any time in the future, it's probably a good thing to have an account uh, established, um, you know, sooner rather than later. You can do it at any time, but, um, uh, you know, we do, we do encourage folks to, to start doing this in October uh, so that the, uh, everything goes live uh, when the law is in effect in, in January 2020. So don't, don't get me wrong, you can, you can actually register and establish your account beginning in October. That's great. And just to add to that, on the website right now, uh, there is a, a email sign-up feature. And we really are encouraging people to go ahead and put their information in there, what type of, you know, whether they're a carrier or a driver or whatever, because what we are doing is every few weeks we're pushing out more information from there and then that's how we'll, you know, a great way to find out what's going on and also uh, keying into that October date when registration will be open. We'll keep sending updates to keep everybody in there. So we would like to see as many folks as we can get in there, get on that email list. So then as the administrator said, come October, uh, we want to get as many people registered as possible because we don't want situations where now a driver's employment is held up because you know, they're offline and they got to get in and make their account or there's some other confusion. Uh, it will be a very simple process to get that account, but the sooner uh, folks are plugged into that information that's out there, I think the better off everyone will be. Absolutely, and we will certainly be pushing out some of that information to our members through our newsletter and our website. We'll make sure that we're uh, letting, our, uh, letting our members know about that. And um, so we'll, we'll do that for sure. And I think that was such a good resource to give for the information that's on your website. And so the last really, the last question that I wanted to ask, and you can answer it any way, any way you'd like, but what can, what can our listeners and NDA members in general do uh, to help out your agency with the work that you're doing? Um, it could either be about the clearinghouse or even just in general, um, you know, what can, what can our industry do? Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank you for what you already do. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer uh, in associations. Uh, I believe that it raises the bar for everybody to make sure that um, uh, your industry, your specific industry, is safe, but that we're all safe on the roadways. I mean, that's our that's our primary mission at the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. We're established by Congress and and by the executive. Uh, with the primary mission, mission of reducing crashes, injuries, and fatalities involving commercial motor vehicles. Uh, safety is in our, in our title of our agency, but we know that uh, we don't have a monopoly on safety. The, uh, the safety is really improved on the roadways by uh, companies establishing you know, cultures of safety, by associations 
uh, participating as you are uh, today, getting the word out about how uh, responsible companies can participate, um, and closing, helping to close loopholes like this. We all know that this, that, uh, that this um, uh, issue exists in, across society uh, of impairment of people driving uh, while impaired. Uh, this, at least for the commercial driver license holders and for uh, uh, carriers that have a lot at stake here, a lot of exposure, if they hire somebody without knowing that they have a, uh, a drug or alcohol problem that they should have known about, um, this will help close that loophole and uh, allow for the process as it already works to, for people to go through the return to duty process and, and get back to work in a, safe, in a safe manner. So we really appreciate you know, your participation to get the word out. Uh, visit our, our, the website clearinghouse.fmcsa.dot.gov. That's specific for the clearinghouse. And uh, we also have our general, for general information about the FMCSA, uh, the general website is fmcsa.dot.gov. Uh, there's a lot of great information on safety there and how you can be a great partner. Well, that sounds great. And, and Mr. Administrator, thank you very much for uh, taking the time again and for all of those resources. Uh, I can tell you that our association is firmly committed to um, to, to safety in this area. We're members of the Drug and Alcohol-Free Workplace Coalition and um, have, have a big emphasis on safety in general. Uh, and so this was a really great discussion for our members and listeners to learn about the FMCSA and the, and the uh, details about the Clearinghouse. So thank you very much again for taking the time with us. And uh, we'll definitely be providing some of the information that you have uh, to our members. And um, this was great. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. This year, the World Demolition Summit will be taking place October 23rd through 24th in Boston, Massachusetts. Here to discuss WDS and his role in the event is Jim Graham of Winter Environmental. Jim, thank you for joining the podcast. Kevin, excited to be here. Thank you. Well, we are excited to have you here and excited to talk about this event. What I'd like to first do is start with asking you about a little bit of background on the World Demolition Summit and to hear a little bit about how you became involved in the event. Well, believe it or not, the conference is in its 11th year, 11th year already. And uh, it was started by a periodical out of the UK, Demolition and Recycling International, and KHL, its publisher. And those two entities, uh, in partnership with the National Demolition Association and European Demolition Association. This is the second time that we're going to host here in the United States this event, with the first event being held down in Miami a few years ago. And as you mentioned, Boston, uh, great location, great city, and certainly a, 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 we're excited about the um, event coming here to the States. A few years ago, I was asked to participate as a judge, and that was in 2017. And at that time, I was judging four categories. And then last year, again, I was uh, asked to participate and judge six categories. And this year, which will be my third year in judging, I've got a few different categories in civils, collaboration, recycling and environment, and manufacturer's innovative award for tools and attachments. All told, if you can believe it, the applications this year, 
They total 2,500 pages for the four areas that I'll be judging. And a few years ago, the, pre, the, uh, the event opened my eyes to several realities. First, how much commonality exists in the industry, regardless of what continent that we're on. We are all faced with the realities of health, safety, business, regulatory, financial challenges, and in many ways they're different, but in many ways they're the same. Second is how together with our contemporaries across the globe, we can solve more challenges than we can alone. And not to be forgotten, and if anybody has attended the event, they'll know this, is how many of our contemporaries outside the United States enjoy competing for the 12 demolition awards, and especially the World Demolition Award, which is the best of the best. Our global friends are very, very competitive for certain. Well, that sounds really exciting, and that is a lot of pages that you're going to have to contend with. Uh, so what I wanted to do is ask now about some of the specific speakers that are going to be featured at the World Demolition Summit. Would you be able to talk about some of the speakers that you might be looking forward to hearing or that you think attendees uh, and listeners here would be, would be looking forward to? Well, Kevin, honestly, I think each of the speakers will bring a dimension of experience and knowledge to the event that personally I'm looking for, and I think professionally, anybody in the industry will be interested in hearing from. We've got Ryan Deaver with Select Demolition Services, which is a New England-based company that's had exponential growth over the past few years in the demolition industry. Joe Brinkman, a uh, U.S. expat that has developed an incredible business in South Africa where the challenges to bringing an inherently dangerous business to a developing environment, that is probably a little more exciting than a wild game hunt in the bush for him. Then there's Fabio Bruno Pinto's presentation on the, uh, the Crystal Palace Hotel and Casino, Casino Demolition Project in the Bahamas. That's going to present an educational moment on logistics and performance uh, of fun in the sun in the demolition industry that may educate many of us beyond the uh, challenges that we typically think of when we go to the beach and go to these exotic islands for holiday. Greg Mix with Kiwet and Simon Herbe from uh, Deslin, AIM Environmental, both from Canada. We'll be discussing two separate projects that, uh, that are very exciting, I think are a big part of our future in the demolition industry in the, in the future. Uh, both of them are infrastructure projects, and I think we're all very cognizant when it comes to what the challenges are with our infrastructure here in the States. Ian Bartles, the president of Budget Demolition, another one of our neighbors to the north, is going to provide us with a description of the Mosaic Stadium Controlled Demolition Project up in Regina, Saskatchewan. And not to be left out, Grant Styles with ERIT contractors from outside London, England. ERIT is one of the largest contractors in the UK and certainly one of the most diverse contractors in the environmental and demolition space. And particularly with the timing of everything that's gone on in, uh, in the UK here uh, as of yesterday uh, with the new prime minister, it's going to be interesting to see what Grant has to say about the future of the demolition industry in the UK and in the EU. Well, that sounds like a great roster and quite a variety of engaging speakers there. And what I'd like to do is shift a little bit over to some of the awards part. And I think we've talked a little bit about it before, but it's a great opportunity at WDS for companies to get some recognition for projects and, and work and 
things like that. So what, what are some of the awards that are going to be presented uh, this year? Well, you know, we have 12 awards and, uh, you know, each one of them. And, and I have to tip the hat to Steve Ducker and the KHL group because they do a fabulous job, a fabulous job with this event. They understand the critical critical dimensions of the industry and capture the attention and participation of contractors and manufacturers, both and the folks that really have their boots on the ground in that matter. The 12 awards that uh, are going to be presented include the contract of the year, which is a demolition project under a million dollars. There's a contract of the year for a project north of the million dollars. There's an award for safety and training, a collaboration award, an explosives demolition award, an urban demolition award, an industrial demolition award, a civils demolition award, recycling and environmental award, the manufacturer's innovation award for plant and equipment, a second manufacturer's innovation award for tools and attachment, and then finally the best of the best is the world demolition award. That's great. That's quite a variety of opportunities for some recognition there. And that, that, to some degree, answers my next question, but I think that you'll be able to expand a little bit more on it. And the question I have is really the reasons that NDA members should be attending the event and specifically about some of the benefits that they would be able to take advantage of should they attend the event. Well, you know, at some level, most of the NDA membership operates on a local regional event. Certainly not all of our members are or national or, or international for that matter. And this event gives NDA membership a great opportunity to stand back and understand the size and complexity of the ever-changing world of demolition. You know, at the NDA, we, we speak about the world of demolition frequently. Well, here we've got the opportunity to capture truly the world of demolition. We know that each and every one of us is faced with one and only one constant every day, and that's change. And we also know that our businesses have changed over the years, and they're going to continue to change. Look at the advent of technology and what that's done to our industry and how that's going to change the industry a generation from now. We can't even envision what that's going to look like. But we're starting to see glimpses of that, and those changes are in what we do each and every day now. And I think that's a perfect example of what this this organization and what this event will bring to the industry, in particular our membership at the NDA. It's also a great opportunity for each NDA member to expand their horizons, see where the industry is going, not only domestically, but globally, and to see how work is being done across the globe so they'll be able to adapt and uh, hopefully incorporate some of what they hear and see. Absolutely. That sounds like several great reasons then. Um, I know that NDA will be uh, attending. I, I know our executive director, Jeff Lambert, is going to be there uh, at the event. So uh, that'll be great to have our association represented along with other NDA member companies. So for those who are listening right now who are interested in getting some more information about the World Demolition Summit, they might be looking to register or would just like some more information about it. Where could they go for, uh, for information there? Uh, I think the best one would probably be a website. So would you happen to have that? You bet, Kevin. Uh, There are two ways, two websites where we can get people to take a look at this. The first one is the World Demolition Summit's website, and that address is www.demolitionsummit.com. The second one is through our own NDA website. There's a link on the website that will 
we'll get folks there. If they click on www.demolitionassociation.com, and under the the NDA's 2019 Fall Leadership Forum event, they'll find information in a hyperlink that will take them right to that site. And, and not to forget, we have the NDA's Fall Leadership Forum that follows the event on Friday, October 25th, which is a great opportunity for those that don't regularly attend our board meetings and our quarterly events to participate and to learn more about what the NDA, NDA is about on a daily basis. Well, that's wonderful. As those are some great resources, and I know that uh, many of our listeners will be looking for some of that information and hopefully registering as well. And I think it's going to be a great event based on the things I've heard from you. And no doubt the fact that you're so heavily involved this year will make it uh, even better. And so, uh, Jim, wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to talk about the World Demolition Summit with us. And uh, good luck with uh, your involvement in the event. Kevin, thank you, and we look forward to seeing everybody in Boston. As we have reported, OSHA has recently published a formal request for information in the Federal Register regarding compliance concerns with the crystalline silica rule. OSHA is requesting information on the effectiveness of engineering and work practice control methods not currently included for the tasks and equipment listed on Table 1 of the Silica Standard for Construction. The agency is also requesting information on tasks and equipment involving exposure to silica that are not currently listed on Table 1, along with information on the effectiveness of engineering and work practice control methods in limiting worker exposure to silica when performing those tasks. Finally, OSHA is requesting information and comment on whether there are additional circumstances where it would be appropriate to permit employers covered by the silica standard for general industry and maritime to comply with the silica standard for construction. NDA solicited feedback from members on compliance concerns and is currently working to craft comprehensive comments to OSHA. Recently, NDA has been weighing in with federal agencies regarding several proposed rules that affect the industry. First, NDA submitted comments to the Department of Defense regarding their proposed rule on accelerated payments to small business contractors. The DOD's proposed rule would amend the Defense Federal Acquisition Regulation Supplement to implement Section 852 of the National Defense Authorization Act for Fiscal 19, which provides for accelerated payments to small business contractors and subcontractors. NDA's comments focused on the benefits of this proposed rule for our members and the small business community as a whole. In addition, NDA recommended that DOD address the protocol and mechanisms for grievances should payments become past due after the 15-day threshold. NDA also joined the Construction Industry Safety Coalition in submitting a comment letter to the House Education and Labor Subcommittee on Workforce Protections to express significant concerns with H.R. 3668. This bill would require the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to issue an Occupational Safety and Health Standard to protect workers from heat-related injuries and illnesses. Specifically, the bill requires OSHA to introduce a proposed standard on the prevention of occupational exposure to excessive heat within two years from the date of enactment of the legislation. OSHA would then be required to issue a final standard within 42 months after the date of enactment. According to the bill, the final standard must provide no less protection than the most protective heat prevention standard adopted by an OSHA state plan state. This bill is unlikely to gain any traction in the Senate should it pass the House. 
That concludes this episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.